Welcome to episode 196 of Saturday Football Uncensored, brought to you by Saturday Down South and Texas Pete. On today's episode, we preview the biggest week of the 2023 season yet, and welcome on Jim Dunaway to discuss the SEC and the Bama Ole Miss game. We'll also give you our best bets at the end of the show. You can find this show on our website, SaturdayDownSouth.com and Apple and Spotify. Don't forget to join us for the live recording of the show every Sunday at 8 Eastern time on the Saturday Down South YouTube page. Go share the podcast with your friends. You guys have done a great job of that already, but we're looking to expand the pod even more. Find clips from the show on Twitter at Sat Down South and at Sat FB Uncensored on Instagram and TikTok at Saturday Down South. You can find us on our YouTube, of course, at Saturday Down South. And now here's the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Saturday Football Uncensored, brought to you by Saturday Down South and Texas Pete. I'm your host, Tyler Huck, and with me, as always, Chris Marler. Chris, big, big, big week four here. Huge. Huge week. Biggest Biggest of this season so far. Yeah. Like, last week was like, oh, this is a big week, but it's like, it was like, it was more like when like a girl says like, oh, it's the perfect week. You know what I mean? You know what I mean when I say that. So like, yeah. this is the big week. Like this is an actual big week. A lot of trap games last week. A lot of top teams looking poor against inferior opponents. But it was all yeah. in preparation for this week, which presents, well, maybe not Georgia since they're playing UAB. But yeah. maybe maybe they were, you know, maybe Dilfer's coming in hot to Athens and uh no, but uh a lot of preparation for the games this week. Um, there's going to be potentially some separation of who's actually a college football playoff contender and who's not. Yeah, um, I'm very excited about it. We have a lot of games to cover. We have a, a guest coming in as well. So you just want to get it, get into the slate here. I'd like to talk about our feelings for a minute, just for okay. a second. See how it feels. No, let's, let's get into it. Like, I mean, we have, I'm counting right now on the side. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games to go over, plus an interview. We're in like we're arguably the most prepared we've been for a pod. Maybe at the standpoint for sure. But then also I know you're gonna bring some heat with like all of all the, the notes and stuff. I spent too much time on the graphics, I'll be honest with you. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's start with a noon game here. It is three and oh Auburn at two and one Texas AM. Current line, this game is at noon Eastern time on ESPN. Current line, seven and a half in favor of Texas A&M. Total, 51 and a half. Uh, so, taking a look at this game, I, I looked at a couple different angles. Auburn, as a program, has played at Texas A&M five times since they've been in the mm-hmm. SEC. One and four against the spread. What are they on the road, though? I don't know. You should four tell me one. that. Ooh. Spicy. But specifically at A&M, one and four. Against the spread. Yeah, against the spread. Yeah, yeah. Right. And there's a hook on this one, too. So we are just, like, right yeah. out of the gates right. getting some juicy. Uh, however, is that how Stephen A says it? However. I don't know. <laughs> right. That needs to be our whole new shtick. Yeah. It's just, it's just, like, it's just ESPN morning show. But surely our listeners will love it. Yeah. Real um, Hugh Freeze has won both his matchups at Kyle Field at, when yeah. he was at Ole Miss. So there's something to be said for that, potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so the way I'm looking at this game is A&M's defense has been brutal against yes. explosive plays. And I feel like that's like Hugh Freeze's mantra 
just the explosive play. Um, A&M is one and seven straight up and two and six against the spread in their last eight games against power five opponents. One and seven straight up against power five opponents in the last eight games. Yikes. That's almost unfathomable. It is. For a guy that makes $10 million a year, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, something I don't like for A&M here, uh, 115th in the country in penalties per game. Like, okay, that part is insane to me because this is what you're what? Happy cheers to Celsius. Um, we got to get Celsius as a sponsor. Both of us are drinking one every single episode. I go through five a day, and if anyone's listening and thinks that's a problem, it's not. We'll tell you why later. But it's this is like I love them. I like anyway. Um, I think that that like you just had 115th in penalties. This is year what of of Jimbo at A and M? Year six? Six, I think. Yeah, dude. <laughs> what are we doing? Like, what are we doing right now? Yeah, it's uh, it's just. I don't know, man. It's just a sign of a poorly coached and undisciplined team. Um, yeah. I will say they have righted things on offense considerably. I wouldn't say the the opponents that they've played outside of Miami have been strong. So I don't. No. I'm I'm not going to pass any judgment yet on the offense. But the defense has been pretty bad, especially against explosive mm-hmm. plays. Um. I think we. I. I'm kind of giving away my lean here. Yeah. So I'll just go ahead and tell you where I'm leaning. Um, Auburn's past game has been pretty brutal, I will say, but uh, they're 103rd in passing success rate, but they're third in rushing success rate. Ooh. Uh, so I like Auburn to have some success on the ground here. Um, they have done pretty well against the pass this year as well. I'm taking the, the matchup I'm looking at is Hugh Freeze's offensive prowess versus DJ Durkin, who I do not think is a good coach or person or person. I I'll take a and M cause it's at home and Auburn doesn't have a great, um, I don't know. They don't, they don't play great in Kyle field, but yeah. I, I'm going to take Auburn to cover this game. I, my, my score prediction is a and M 27 Auburn 23. Okay. Again, Auburn, has won four of their five trips to A&M. True. I was, yeah, against the spread. Okay. Um, so here's what I think. I think Connor Wegman, second overall QBR in the country. Second overall QBR in the country, leads the SEC in QBR, has been phenomenal. Ten total touchdowns, two interceptions. The dude has been legit. He gets Evan Stewart back this week. Auburn loses a defensive back for the entire season. They got one of the better linebackers in the country. Been kids been playing out of his mind. Um, I'm an idiot and I've forgotten his name right now because I'm all jacked up on Celsius and Mountain Dew. But Auburn going to to Kyle Field. This is what I'm most interested to see in this game, and that is you have like I think that this is a tougher and more stressful game for Jimbo than the Miami game. And I, I think Miami might mean more in like the big picture, and they're I think they're ranked now. And, you know, obviously, like, the two like the, the, the two logos on those helmets and all that kind of stuff, that's a big game, and you fell on your face and, and all that kind of stuff. However, there's still positive takeaway from that, right? And you also got to do it kind of like in a stadium where nobody was around to really watch it. You had a yeah. rain delay. You had, you had a couple of things. I don't know, like, people like – No one's like, ever at Miami games anyways. Exactly. And now you got to come home to, like, 105 to 107,000 A&M fans that, like, 
are a little bit uneasy because they expected to be three and zero here to start this game or to start this season. And you're supposed to win. You're a seven and a half point favorite at home against Auburn, but you just said it. They're one in seven against the spread. That's terrible. That's yeah. terrible. I mean, sorry, one in seven straight up against Power Five opponents yeah. in the last eight games. That's awful. Mm-hmm. What I'm most interested to see is if things get to the fourth quarter of slates. If you're Auburn, the whole thing you're trying to do here is you're just trying to get to the fourth quarter and keep it close so you have a chance to win. Peyton Thorne put up some some great numbers kind of last week, right? He had, he had three touchdowns, still had two interceptions, but he put up over 400 yards of offense, had over 100 yards on the ground, and 200 yards passing. Um, this offense has been able to do some things. The sample size of them being on the road is not just small. It's only one game, right? And Cal, they looked awful. This defense has not played very well, which has been surprising. It's been very, very surprising for AM. If yeah, this thing goes talent and probably in the country as far as far as high school rating, I mean, maybe along the D line, more than Georgia. It's on the D line, it's better than anyone in the country. Yeah, for sure. Like for sure. Um, and that's why it's been so surprising. But you go into this game, and what I'm interested to see is if it goes to the fourth and it's a close game, is Jimbo going to stay with what he said he was going to do? and let Bobby Petrino call the plays, or is he going to panic? And you're already shaking your head, and that's like exact. – I'm like – now listen, I know you hate Jimbo and, and all that kind of stuff um, for, for a number of reasons as a Florida State guy, but I don't think you're wrong here because he's done nothing to gain our trust from a standpoint of like, oh, yeah, he'll probably do what's right. Like he'll do, he'll do like what's best for the team here because he's never done that. Like he's, he's never gotten out of his own way because he thinks his way is best. I got yeah. AM to win. I think the best bet in this game is the over at 51 and a half. Um, it, they, like, they weren't even close to that a year ago. This is like the Cadillac game that was awesome on so many different levels. I've got AM to win and I've got the over. I think AM wins, I'm going to say 33 to 28. Okay. So you got a high score, high, higher scoring than me, but yeah. Um, all right. So you got Auburn covering then. Yeah. Okay. What did you said? You said what was yours again? I, I've got Texas and then twenty-seven, Auburn twenty-three. Okay, so, a little bit lower scoring. Um, yeah. all right, let's jump conferences here. By the way, did you see the numbers on the Colorado Colorado State game? The TV rating. This is like it's so awesome for college football. It's just so awesome for college football. Wow, what's up? Graphic transition, like a yeah. motherfucking boss right now. Um, I love it. Yeah, cheers to Celsius again. Uh, here's the heart palpitations in week four. So the 9.3 million people is the highest viewed game in the country. Side note, the Bama South Florida game was fourth. So feel bad <laughs> for all those people, including myself, but 9.3, dude, it spiked at its highest over nine point over over 9 million after midnight on the East coast. That's crazy. I mean, a 10 30 start game should never have ratings out. That's, that's no. crazy. Like I, yeah. The, and that's and it was what actually I, even later, remember? Because the other game, the Tennessee Florida game, was coming off even. It was like ten forty five or ten fifty. Yeah, so I, that's why I do love. I mean, I don't think people are hate watching Colorado. I think they're genuinely intrigued. Yeah. We've already talked about this. That's why that like Dion continuing to do this. Like nobody believes in us. Blah blah blah. It's just dumb. But this game here is against Colorado. This is this is. I'm is, I'm sorry. It's against Oregon. This is Colorado's first really tough test. Now they granted right. they were. 28 point underdogs to TCU in that first game, and they won outright. First week, we didn't know anything about Colorado. 
Didn't really know much about TCU. They lost a lot. Um, this game's a little different. Number 19, this 330 game, ABC. Number 19, Colorado, 3-0. At number 10, Oregon, also 3. Ooh, excuse me, 3-0. Uh, the the line is 21 points currently, and the total yeah. is 71. It opened at like what, like 16 and a half? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the total opened at, but that is a extremely high total. Um. Yeah. So the big question is: Is this where Dion takes his first L? Um. I found it funny that this whole Dan Lanning press conference. Uh, a lot of people are confused by this clip that's gone like semi-viral. No, they're not. no, they're not. And if they are, they're doing it their own fucking peril. Like they, they yeah. just don't care to look up when it actually came because they want to be outraged by something. I'm so fucking over it. Yeah. Dan Lanning over the summer in July had a press conference when Colorado left the big 12 or the pack 12 and went to the big 12. Um, Dan Lanning came out and basically said, look, I don't know what Colorado has really done for the conference. And now it's being played. Like he said it on Monday in his press yeah. conference ahead of this game. So interesting. Which, I mean, like Dion could also like talk himself into believing that it happened on Monday. Yeah. I will say, you know what? Let's give credit real quick. Cause this is something we talked about the other day. And it really pissed me off. And we, we addressed it on the pod and all that kind of stuff. But like the Travis Hunter thing, the hit, I'm not going to get into this. Cause it's not a big enough deal to care about. But I didn't think the hit was that egregious. I just didn't. I, like, I thought it was a bad late hit. And, like, it should have resulted in that kid getting put on his ass, like, from, like, probably an offensive lineman, another player or whatever. And he, like, maybe ejected from the game. The outburst from people about how he should lose his scholarship and, blah, like, that is all. Oh, he should die. That right there <laughs> is something I would say almost should never be your takeaway in a college football game. I mean, almost never. <laughs> like, I mean. Almost always never. You know what I'll say? Never. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I don't think there's anything that can be done on a football field. Sands like I don't know if you saw the, the movie The Last Boy Scout where the dude pulls out a gun on the field and shoots one of the no. players. It's like a movie from the nineties. Yeah, uh, I've heard of the Last Boy Scout, but also I mean like I yeah, Scout that never happened. Yeah. So outside of that, yeah, I don't think anyone should, should ever be threatened their life for something that happens on a football field. And yeah. I think most of us Boy Scout. And pulled out a gun. Did you? Do you mean gun? Or is that it like it wasn't a Boy Scout. It was a football player. Is it the last Boy Scout? I may have the total wrong name. Yeah, this is a weird. Yeah, it's a weird movie. There was um, a there was a movie that started on a football field where the guy gets tackled and he pulls a gun out and shoots the other guy. Yeah. Um, anyway, for this game, so yeah, we do want to give credit to Dion for coming out yeah. basically like, look. The kid is a good kid. He's working hard. He's, you know, honor roll student, whatever. I yeah. thought that was good by Dion. Um, oh, yeah. That being said, Travis Hunter is out three weeks after that hit, and he will not play in this game, which right. when you have a two-way player that is the most special player on your roster, that affects mm-hmm. you on both sides of the ball, obviously, which is tough. Um, Oregon under Dan Lanning, 4-0 against the spread at home as a 17-plus point favorite. I like that mm-hmm. trend. Uh, Shador Sanders is a lot better than I thought he would be at this level. Yeah. Um, here's the thing about Colorado though. They do have a really good running back for, they got that four-star kid Edwards. Uh-huh. He's been really good in the past game, but Colorado hasn't been able to run the ball this year. Um, 
Also, Colorado's defense is not very good. In right. fact, they're bad. They're um, very bad. And when your best player is out against a, a quarterback like Bo Nix, who, who would have ever thought we'd be saying that? But it's true. Bo Nix is one of the best quarterbacks in the country over the last two years. Yeah. Uh, Oregon can really run the ball. I think their strategy in this game is let's just keep Shadur Sanders off the field. Yeah. So Colorado can't stop the run. Oregon can run the ball really well. I think Oregon tries to play game control, keep the ball in their hands, keep Sanders off the field. And I think Travis Hunter being out on the defensive side of the ball also hurts them probably more than him being out on the offensive side of the ball. I think long-term he's probably a better receiver at the next level, but yeah. Um, I just, I don't like betting against Dion, so I probably wouldn't bet against this game like personally. Yeah. But I'll take Oregon to cover for the purposes of the pick show show. And I'll go Oregon 45 Colorado 20 and Oregon covers. I looked at this and I tried to figure out a way to get like a, like some sort of clue on as to where, there might be some value in a bet. The line is 21 and a half. The first half line is 13 and a half. The first quarter line is six and a half. Out of those three, the six and a half in the first quarter makes the most sense to me with Oregon. Um, I think they come out on fire. I think, like, here's the thing, too. Like, Oregon, I mean, Colorado is is going to probably put up some points. I think Shadir Sanders has been really, really good. But you do have your best overall player on both sides of the ball, including Shadir Sanders, not playing this game. And you got to go on the road. This is not going to be TCU. It's not that kind of environment. And TCU, let's not forget, made a horrible horrible tackling adjustments the entire game and that's not something a dan landing team is going to do and that dan was landing, the first game that was came down to the wire right dan landing they beat portland state to open the season 81 to 7 and i know you're thinking to yourself chris why the fuck are you talking about portland state please don't get into your ex stuff again and i'm not going to but portland state put up like nine they put up like 63 points in the first half last week they scored 90 points through three quarters to whatever team they were playing a week ago. I understand that's not FBS football and all that kind of stuff, but think about what I just said. They they obviously can score points. Oregon held them to seven points. I think this is a blowout. I will say, I don't think this is a vengeful blowout where you're going to have somebody that's going to come in and try to prove a point to Dion because they're tired of hearing about Dion. But I do think that they are going to come out there and, and like they, they're going to play really good football. And one thing that they they have shown like with Bo Nix that they do that, that, that Bo Nix didn't do in the past and that, Shadir Sanders hasn't really done, especially last game, is not turn the football over. They play really, really good, sound, fundamental football. I would take Oregon to win. I would not take the 21 and a half, but I would take the 13 and a half and probably the six and a half, just because I think it's going to take a while for Colorado to adjust with, with what they have on offense. Interesting side note here, even with Travis Hunter out, Cormani McLean was said they said this week, the, the all-world five-star cornerback, he's limiting himself from seeing the field from his own mistakes. Those are the words of Dion. I've got Oregon to win. I will say 44 to 30. I'm sorry, 44 to um, to 24. Okay. 44 to 24. So mm-hmm. a cover for Colorado. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, Let's do LSU and Arkansas real quick. The only thing that Oregon Oregon's going to know is, hey, all eyes are going to be on this game. I get they're yeah. playing at the same time as Ole Miss-Bama, which will take away from some of that. But Colorado's wow. clearly must-see television right now, and Oregon's going to want to prove themselves on that stage. I agree with that. All right, let's jump back to the SEC. This is a 7 p.m. Eastern time game on ESPN. Arkansas, 2-1 and one on the year, at number 12, LSU, who's also 2-1. and one. Uh, This is a 17.5-point spread currently, total 59.5. and a half. 
I'll let you start here, and then I'll make my pick up for you. Whichever one of you assholes decided they were going to play this game September 23rd instead of November, I hate you. I hate everything you stand for or sit for, to be honest. I don't care if it's either one of those things. Um, anyway, LSU, Arkansas. The fact that this is also Herb Street and Fowler feels weird. Oh, yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Um, I think that LSU wins this game. I think they win it big. The line has continued to rise. I think it was like eight and a half like a couple weeks ago or like last week or something like that. I think Gordy told me it's up like 17 and a half. I think LSU wins. I think they win big and going away. Um, they're a better football team. And I think they showed it last week that, and they're, they're coming back home for a night game. Arkansas has really struggled, I think, at the start of this year without the continuity they had from the years past of the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. I like LSU to win. I think that's, I mean, LSU, I mean, Arkansas has lost so much on defense. And I, I just don't think that, like, even though I called him Superman a week ago, KJ Jefferson can't do it all on his own. So I got LSU. I think they win 38 to 17. Close to mine. Um, so two opposite sides of the spectrum for these two teams coming off of last week. Jaden Daniels sets a school record for pass completion percentage, going mm -hmm. 30 for 34 for 361 yards, two touchdowns. Another 64 on the ground with another two touchdowns. Malik Neighbors caught both of those touchdowns as well as 11 other passes for 239 total receiving yards. LSU blows Mississippi State off the field. Uh, they, they stacked Will Rogers four times. They held Mississippi State to just 94 rushing yards. Meanwhile, Arkansas lost to BYU at home after being up 31-21 in the third quarter. Yeah. Uh, they had 14 penalties, including six penalties on their final drive when they were trying to go tie the game. Almost impossible to do. Almost impossible. Um, the O-line has to play better in front of uh, KJ Jefferson. He was under duress the entire game against BYU. And let's be honest, LSU's D-line is a different animal. Um, yeah. Mason Smith being back. As a Florida State fan, thank God that kid wasn't playing in that game. I feel bad for him. So, yeah. But he, Mason Smith is a, is a beast. Um I think LSU's on a mission to prove that getting blown out by Florida State was a fluke. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. know if it was or they not. They kind of have to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To your point, yeah. I think they win this game easily, and I had almost an identical score. I've got LSU 42, Arkansas 17. So I think this is going to be a blowout. Uh, it's at home, at night for LSU. The the Raging yeah. Cajuns, I know they're not the Raging Cajuns, but their fans are raging, and they're Cajun. Um, also, one of the weirdest stats that I've seen in quite some time, um, courtesy of Josh Pate was that at one point in the second half, I think it's the second half of that game against uh, Mississippi State, Mississippi State had 11 straight plays that were for zero or negative yards, which is not good. No, really no, not good. Be going backwards on the football field. No, never. Um, all right. So we are waiting currently. Obviously, we're not, we're not shooting this live, but we have our good friend from Next Round Live, Jim Dunaway, coming on here in a second. Let's kind of just start talking about, um, you know, the game that we have to get into. And I am fucking dreading it. Um, man, I used to like, I used to say this about LSU, the Bama LSU game. I hate it because it was like a three hour panic attack and you had to sit there and you knew it was going to be some low scoring game and like really tough defenses. And it was going to be like, it, like it was just blood pressure through the roof for four straight hours. But it was because like every point mattered and it was like a low-scoring game. This is going to be a nightmare for a whole new set of reasons. I, Looking at the Vegas lines, 
shocked. Yeah, I am shocked at what I'm looking at. Bama is a seven-point favorite. It's gone up from six. That is, Barrett Salee said it all week, the wrong team is favored. I don't disagree with them necessarily. Um, we'll get into, like I said, with Jim here in a second, but I just think, I just think this team, there's just so many questions and there's like the feet, the theater of all of it. By the way, we are talking about number 15 Ole Miss at number 13, Alabama, three thirty CBS game. Oh, I already said that. Yeah. No total 55 and a half. It's just going to be awful. Like, it's just going to be awful. Like, like it's going to be, yeah, like, I, I really think that this is going to be, and I think Lane knows it, and, and, and I thought it was going to happen in 2021 where he had a chance to, to kind of like, I don't want to say put the nail in the coffin then, because especially what we know now, I think there's like a really good chance that if you want to like, you know, hyperbole aside, this could be the nail in the coffin, like for the dynasty. And, and Bama, like, think about this. Like, think about living in a world where we wake up on Sunday and there's still another week of football in the month of September. And Bama, it's not fucking smiling, dickhead. And and Bama and Clemson are two and two. Like that yeah. is, that's a different world, man. That that is, it's it just. I'm nervous to watch this. We also have two free tickets to this game, so um, I, I will say that Glad too. You told me that on Wednesday. Three, well, yeah, I probably should have put something out about it. Yeah, uh, we got two free tickets to this game. If anyone wants them, I mean anyone, all you need to do. I need you to leave a five-star review. That's that's the, that's it. And if we have multiple ones, I'll pick the best one, and I will give you these two free tickets that I have, uh, courtesy wow. of our good friends at Vanguard. Yeah, that's, all, that's it. That's all you got to do. Leave a five-star okay. review. Whoever has the best five-star review is going to win two free tickets to Ole Miss and Alabama in Tuscaloosa this Saturday, 3.30 Eastern. That's I mean, that's pretty low. That's pretty yeah, that's that's phenomenal. It's better than a sticker. Bare minimum. Yeah. Uh, uh, than a sticker. And also, it's because I will send you these. I don't have to mail anything. I can just yeah. send them right through my phone. So Ole Miss is six and three against the spread against Alabama since 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kiffin is two and one against the spread against Alabama. The one he didn't cover was in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. Um, Ole Miss has been a good road dog as well. Four, two and oh, one no. against the spread. Uh so for Ole Miss, the surprising thing for them this year is Quinshawn Judkins has basically been non-existent. Yeah. Um, Jackson Dart actually leads the team in rushing. So I don't know if that's a thing or they're, they haven't really played anybody yet, so they're maybe holding that part of their offense back. I think most people know that, that Judkins is the straw that stirs the drink, if you will. Hell yeah, brother. Um, that red solo cup. There's the uh, Pete Golding factor. Pete Golding coming back in. Is Ole Miss defense improved? I don't know that we know that yet. Um yeah. because of their the teams they've played. I mean, Tulane's not bad. But, they had a backup backup quarterback in. Yeah, and they still almost won the game. So Tyler, um, real quick, you also have to take into account the fact that Pete Golding is coming back to Tuscaloosa, but he's not driving, which I know in the past has been an issue with him, right? So environment for everybody. Yeah, it's a safer environment for everybody. <laughs> terrible. Um, I the what was with Kiffin saying when he watches film? It doesn't seem like Kevin Steele is calling the defense. That's kind of a weird thing to say, right? You know, what's even weirder is the fact that Saban responded to it 
and the fact that I feel like he's already so already in his dome of yeah. of like like and if, if you don't know what Tyler's talking about, basically Kiffin came out and he was like, Yeah, it's pretty clear to us that Traveris Robinson is the one calling the defensive plays and not Kevin Steele. And then and then he handled it like it's like like listen, in the past we've seen Lane Kiffin troll Nick Saban, right? We've seen that happen. Usually when he does it, it's like after they played. Beforehand, right. it's it's just nothing but zero rat poison. Let's talk about like they're great. They're they're fantastic. They they've been really, really good, you know, like doing this, blah, blah. And like right off the bat, he's like, Well, I think it'll help that Bryce Young's not there. Traveris Robinson, he's like he's the one calling plays. And it's like it, like, dude, he he like also he smells blood in the water. Yeah, I think he does. I think everyone does. So Milrose back in the saddle for Alabama at QB. I think if you're a Bama fan now, you understand why he's the quarterback. There might have been some calls for Buckner and Simpson and the like. Uh, now you know why Milrose was in there. Yeah. Um, to me, obviously the offense hasn't been great. Um, yeah. They're going to have to run Milrose a ton in this game and mix in that with the deep ball because he actually is good at throwing the deep ball. Um, yeah. yeah. It's the it's the short to intermediate passes that can lead him astray. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what Tommy Reese is willing to do differently offensively in this game. It's obvious to me, it's I'm kind of with you. Like if Bama loses this game, you're gonna ha- hear the the concept of the the dynasty being dead is yeah, gonna be yeah. the loudest it's ever been. So it's I'll a big game. Gonna be dead if they if they say anything close to that. And that's Jim Dunaway that we're going to bring on right now. I said it, Jim. It's a death threat. I didn't mean it. I don't mean it. Let me take this thing off here. There we go. What's up, man? How are you? Fantastic. I'm not here to talk about the death of a dynasty. I'm here to talk about a resurrection of a dynasty. I like that. I listen. I I've that. had a, a pretty rough morning, so like, just I just I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. So like, we gotta. I, I need as much as much good news as possible. We're here to talk about obviously. Jim Dunaway from, from Nextron Live, our good boys over there. Uh, ph- phenomenal work, by the way. Not just with, like, the hats and the merch, but, like, a phenomenal show. I, I will say the one critique I have, and I know that you're going to take this to heart and really care about it, is that when I was on the show, I didn't know we were allowed to cuss until, like, 78% I was through the, the interview. And that that right there was, like, really bothersome <laughs> to me. But Yeah. Um, yeah. We, 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 we don't pre-warn you uh, since we pre-warned Charles Barkley the first time he was on with us for years on our radio. And we had to warn him coming in that he couldn't cuss on our radio platform. And then he came in studio very early on the digital platform. And we were like, hey, and the best part is we can sit here and drink and cuss. And he dropped six F-bombs in his first opening sentence. And from that (laughs) point forward, we were like, all right, we probably should pre-warn the guests that it's a free reign to cuss. Yeah. And Jim, I'll just be honest with you, that's light work for me. So um, glad we didn't (laughs) do that. Um, All right. So. Like very few people and, and programs have like a better finger in the pulse of, of Bama football and what's going on over there and the fans and, and just like how like just the mood. What is the mood in Alabama this week? Like what what is what is like from the fan base and just in general, like how tense is it? What's going on over there? Um, let's start first with with Nick Saban and the coaches, because mm-hmm. I was I was on Nick's show last Thursday night, Thursday before last, after the loss to Texas before South Florida. And I used to host his coach's show after games. And I will tell you that there is a part of Nick Saban, not that he enjoys losing at all, but there is a part of Nick Saban 
who enjoys the off-season grind and building a team, building a roster, making people better, that is having fun with this team. Because yeah. there are so many challenges on this team and so many places that need work. So there is a sparkle in his eye after all these years of being able to uh, sort of build this team, uh, whatever that will look like Saturday and on later in the season. Flip that to the fan base who lived, as I did as a child, through the 70s of Bear Bryant. Um, when it felt like every Saturday involved a path to a national championship. Yeah. Uh, then the downs of the 80s, a national championship in the 90s, then down again, and then here comes Nick Saban. And I never thought I would get a, another Bear Bryant in my lifetime. And here I am with a coach better than Bear Bryant. So as an Alabama person and a fan yeah. base that has been fed nothing but caviar for, for its entire life, the panic is hair on fire, uh, running in the streets, What's going on? We could be out of the college football playoff conversation before Halloween decorations are even up. And that's not mm. happened in Nick Saban's time uh, since 2007. I I, I, we've heard a lot of Alabama fans. We have a, a voicemail that they can call into after the games. Not just Alabama fans, but anybody. But we've, heard, we've had a lot yeah. of Alabama callers this year. And a lot of people are frustrated with the penalties and lack of discipline and the O-line play. Um, what do you attribute that to, especially the penalties? I mean, O-line play obviously can improve. You've got a lot of talented players there. What do you attribute the – because we're not used to seeing that from a Nick Saban-led team. Um, I think it's increased, and this is only my opinion, it's increased over the last few years because I think people who make penalties in football games usually are not the best the, – the better player at that position. You mm -hmm. make a penalty in the secondary when you're beat usually – you make a holding penalty when you're when you're beat, usually, those type things. And for so many years, when Alabama had great discipline and also uh, fewer penalties, I think it was because they were better at all those positions than the people yeah. they were playing. And I think the last few years, the playing field has gotten a little bit more, a little bit more level, and the talent is not as overwhelmingly in the crimson flavor as it has been in recent years. And I think that's why the penalties have, have ticked up. Now, I will tell you that a couple of those penalties, like the callback in the Texas game of a couple of Jermaine Burton touchdowns, I don't think they happen without the penalties. The pass right. doesn't get off to Jermaine Burton yeah. if there's not a holding penalty. You know, So those type things, usually you, know, you get a holding penalty in a secondary to pass interference to prevent another Texas touchdown. So some of those penalties are needed. Um, yeah. But but they're way up, and I think it's just because Alabama's not overwhelmingly more talented at those positions like they were in 2009 or 11 or 12 and so forth. Yeah, I think the COVID year, especially the, like the way it affected recruiting and like the evaluation of talent really, really screwed some things up for a lot of people in college football. I think especially Bama. That's like that's my biggest regret with COVID is, is not even like, like, like the economy. Like I'll take a 1980 Jimmy Carter economy right now if it means Bama's still winning natties. Um, I'll say it. I don't care. Um, okay. So this is something before we get into like the actual like game predictions and like your your key points of the game, just off the top of your head, and I probably should have prepped you on this, but I, I heard a story yesterday from Jacob Coker. He was telling the story on, on some Bama show about the Lane Kiffin uh, at his pro day or workout or something like that with Detroit. I don't know if you heard this, Tyler, but basically he's he's throwing Lane walks in. He's, it's just specifically for Detroit, and he spikes like an out route, like five yards short of the receiver, and Lane like without missing a beat was just like 
yeah, I wouldn't want to go live in Detroit either. And it was just like a peak Lane Kiffin moment, which is hilarious. Any good, funny Lane or Saban moments like them together or Lane moments in general that you, that you love to share and that are appropriate for our NC-17 audience? <laughs> I would tell you first that that show is uh, Elephant in the Room, and that's okay. part of our company up here, Disrupt oh, the nice. Media. Uh, that we own, and that's a, another YouTube channel. So Jake Coker's on there with Mick Gillespie, and that's where that story is, three times a week, elephant in the room. Um, I don't really have any behind-the-scenes stories that mm -hmm. I can tell you, and I'm not going to give you the, the second-hand stories, uh, yeah. but you could go to just about any bar owner, and I would recommend Ennis Free uh, in Tuscaloosa, and get all the uh, not-suitable-for-work Lane Kiffin stories you want. Uh, we all know about Joey Freshwater, <laughs> and uh, that's only the tip of the iceberg of the legacy Lane Kiffin has in Tuscaloosa. In fact, uh, I think there is a perception by some that Lane Kiffin could be the coach uh, that replaces Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa when Nick Saban retires. I would say if Alabama people ask Nick Saban if mm -hmm. Lane Kiffin is the coach that follows him in Tuscaloosa, I don't think uh, Nick Saban or Terry Saban would sign off on that. So yeah. th these two are very cordial to each other, and Lane is very respectful up to a certain degree. Um, but I don't think there's a ton of love lost for Lane Kiffin, the the teenager uh, adult, and Nick Saban and the way he likes to do things. And I'll leave it at that. But there, there have been many stories of yeah. the blow-up between those two, and that goes all the way to the college football semifinals against Washington that led to him being dismissed, a coach being fired between the semifinal and a national mm -hmm. championship game. Right. I'm not even going to get started. I'm like, I'm like genuinely shaking right now, even still talking about that, because that's still the best Bama team outside of 2020 I've ever seen in my life. And they, they came up one place short, which would have probably helped you there. Anyway, Tyler, take away, because I'm going to lose my mind right now. All right, well, let's look into this game. Obviously, yeah. Milrow's back in the saddle. We were just talking before you got on. I think Bama fans got a glimpse of why Milrow was the quarterback to start the year in the first place. You know, the, the backup quarterback's always going to be the most popular guy on the team until you see what they can do. Um, so what are you expecting the offense to look like uh, game plan-wise against a Pete Golding-led defense for Ole Miss? Yeah, well, first of all, you hit a nail right there. Alabama fans have, can I say, bitched about, bitched about yeah, yeah. Pete Golding for the last four years, right, as there, as Alabama's D.C. And now here he comes riding into town with a chance to beat Alabama. I mean, for the Golding family, this is set up perfectly with yeah. a big middle finger to the Alabama fan base as he walks off the field if they're able to pull the upset. Um, I, if, if Listen, I'm not a football coach. I was a baseball player. Um, but Jalen Milrow is really good at running the football. It is obvious now that of the three quarterbacks you've seen, he is the best option for this team. I was surprised in the Texas game that he was still trying, or not trying, they were still running a lot of the same plays that they ran when Bryce was there, when Mack was there, when Tua was there, and there were not more designed runs for him. This offensive line is really good at run blocking. They are mediocre thus far at pass blocking. So right. I hope in this contest, lessons have been learned and there is a Jalen Milrow designed run package um, that will take you back. I don't care. Let's go all the way back to the Tom Osborne Nebraska team. Let's line it up. Let's go the, let's go the power eye or the veer yeah. or whatever you want to do. Run it around the side, either pitch it to Jace or run it, run over some people, get six yards, huddle up again, let's go again. Uh, so I, I hope there's more Jalen Milrow runs in this game. 
I, I really can only think of one that I've seen on a design play call. And I don't want to say it was in like late in the first quarter, early second quarter inside the red zone against Texas. And I don't really, I don't feel like they ran, they've run another one. And you brought up a good point with the offensive line. The offensive line has caught a lot of flack and deservingly so, because they have not lived, like they've not been up to par with what we heard in the off season. Right. At the same time, one of the reasons they were so awful a week ago against South Florida, a defense that was ranked 113th in the country, is because there was no threat to throw the ball. And you have that with Milrow, I think, and to run. Outside of that matchup, what is a, a, a position battle or is, is a player that we're not talking about? Like, I know Amari Nyblack came up huge in that Texas game. What's a player maybe we're not talking about that come Sunday morning might be the hero of this game or the, the, the best standout player that Bama's had? Um, for Bama, you get Tyler Booker back at left guard. And I mm-hmm. think that's huge because true freshman Caden Proctor on the end um, uses Booker as sort of a crypt, crypt sheets, an, a cheat sheet of mm-hmm. play calls, blocking schemes and everything. And Booker didn't play. He joins us every week, part of our NIL deal with him on yeah. the next round. And, and he had a little back issue. He was designed to miss that game against South Florida. He's back. That'll help Proctor a little bit be in the right place and feel a little bit more comfortable. So just having Booker back, I think, will be huge. Uh, but I want to see if Dallas Turner can stack good game yeah. on good game here and play as reckless as he did at South Florida. Uh, so many times, if you go back to Tennessee last year, you had Dallas Turner and you had um, the unbelievable first-round draft pick, right? One of Two of the yeah. best linebackers ever to play at Alabama on the field at the same time. And other than one scoop and score, their name was virtually not called because they wouldn't turn up the heat. Last week, I felt like they turned up the heat against South Florida. They didn't really pressure Quinn Ewers. So I hope you get a lot more pressure from Dallas Turner on the quarterback. And you talk about names, uh, names that maybe we're not mentioning that could be key to this game. We were talking to uh, Neil McCready, who also works with us here um, uh, at Disrupt Media and earlier today, and he's talking about all the receivers and tight ends that will be making their first Ole Miss appearance likely against Alabama, including uh, Zachary Franklin coming from UTSA, the big tight end, likely going to make his first start. I think he played at Memphis. So some of these portal guys who haven't played two receivers and a tight end may be making their Ole Miss debut this week. Uh, This Ole Miss core to date um, hasn't looked like the, the Ole Miss receivers that Hugh Freeze had that beat Alabama or that Lane's had in recent years. This receiving core to date hasn't scared me at all. If these guys come back and they're effective coming out of the portal and playing for the first time this week, that's going to free up that Ole Miss run game that hasn't been what you expected so far. So that's my biggest takeaway from this game. Can Ole Miss get some receiver production against Alabama's great secondary that gets their run game going? And if Ole Miss gets that run game going, then Alabama could be in trouble. The line on this game is seven in favor of Alabama. Uh, Chris, amongst others, are, is, was very uh, – he thinks the wrong team is favored. And, I'm scared. Um, is that a question or a statement? You're scared and the wrong team's favored. Um, I, I would tell you that uh, this game is frightening to me, yes. Yeah. Um, because Ole Miss easily – you know, if this was being played in Ole Miss, Alabama just gets a bump in Vegas – because of what they've done the last 15 years. But from what I've seen on the field from this Alabama team, um, I would make I would make it a pick em. I'd make it a pick em. It, mm-hmm. any, it's anybody's game. I think Alabama fans are sort of, you know, taught, mm-hmm. and it's born into us to believe that 
uh, okay, we've seen some uh, bad performances. They're going to come out and steamroll them. And Lane Kiffin chirping all week, I think, helped Alabama fans think, oh, it's going to be an old butt whooping now. They've, they've made our guys mad. It's going to be a butt whooping. But I, I'm, I'm with you guys. This is a pick them type game for me. And I wouldn't argue with anybody that would say the wrong team's favored right now. I wouldn't argue with anybody. You give us a score prediction, or is it going to come up later in the week? Um, I don't. We don't do score predictions, but I'll give you one. Uh, so um, I would say Alabama twenty-seven, and Ole Miss, depending on if Lane goes for it on fourth down six or seven times, I'll say Ole Miss 24. 27, 24. Give me a real Will Reichard walk off fifty-six yarder to win it for the Tide. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I don't know why you put out that specific number, but I love it, Jim. Listen, I, I should have done a better job of bringing that. I apologize about the disrupt the media, um, the, the Jake Coker show. You guys have a ton of things going, man. It's been incredible to watch all success and a ton of fun being on the show. Let everyone know where they can find all of y'all's things, and uh, and we'll have you hopefully have you on again soon. You know, truthfully, when we started this, we were like, you know, those guys at Saturday Down South, they're they're really cool dudes. If we could be half as cool as those guys. <laughs> then, then we may have something. Yeah. Everything's at Next Round Live on YouTube. And even my son tells me we're on Twitch. I don't know what the hell Twitch <laughs> is, but we're on Twitch <laughs> and Facebook. I mean, everything, you know, uh, TikTok, everywhere at Next Round Live. And all of our new stuff with Brock Heward and Daniel Jeremiah and Jake Coker and the Village Vice on Auburn is at Disrupt the Media, Disrupt the Media. On, on our YouTube channel as well. We appreciate any support you guys give us, yeah, and uh, we love it when uh, when you when you guys are on our show. You guys give us a big uh, – what, what do the kids call it? A bump? Extra split? <laughs> a surge? I don't even know what it is. We, we get a lot of it when you guys are on the show. We appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you again. All right, man. Thank you, guys. Right. Thanks, Jim. All right. That was awesome. Um, all right. Let's get into the picks, man. I Jim, like, made me feel a lot better about it, like a lot better about it. I don't want to see a, a 56 yard field goal. Well, at least in his scenario, it would be tied. So if he misses it, at least it goes to OT. Do you realize that Alabama has tried to kick a 56 well, plus yard field goal when they were tied before? I have some more athletic people on the field for that one then. Yeah. Um, just so my pick, I, I'm not going to let Jim um, sway my pick. I've already got it. You can look in the dock. Yeah. Very similar to his pick. I think the bet is so obvious on Ole Miss yeah. that I think Alabama wins this game. But I, I will take Ole Miss to win. I mean, I'm sorry to cover. Um, I think we punt the narrative of the dead dynasty for at least another week. I hate Bama's offense, but I'm going to take Ole Miss to cover, and I'm going to go Bama 30, Ole Miss 27. My nipples are harder than a fucking ninth grade algebra test right now. I am... That makes me feel better. Now, listen, I've said this in the past, and I'll say it again. The Texas thing I told you all summer long what was going to happen, and I was right on with it, okay? I prided myself, and I always pride myself on, on trying to be as objective as possible and as rational as possible. And believe it or not, throughout the years I was on the STS pod, no matter what Connor told you guys, I was not ever making emotional hedges. I told you exactly what I thought was going to happen all the time. I'm fucking leaning in hard to the emotional hedge this week. And it's partially because I believe it. I'm very nervous about this game. I don't like how, I, like, Bama fans, including myself, have been way, read way too much into body language and smiles and, and emotions from a press conference all offseason. And Lane has done nothing but stoke the fires of that all week. 
here's the thing that stands out to me. And I understand Tyler Booker's back and, and, and Jim said it and I hated hearing it, to be honest. So one thing I didn't like that he said was they, they're going to play angry. I've heard it all year. I've heard it all off season and all year and the chip on their shoulder and enjoy this part of ball. And they haven't done it. They just haven't done it. And Ole Miss, I understand they had not played a lot of, a lot of great teams early, but here's the thing that I think Bama fans don't understand. One thing that people have looked at in this game is, well, they give up 307 yards passing to Haynes King. They give up this many, this many yards to, to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's not a bad football team. They're not a bad offensive football team. Haynes King has nine touchdowns and one interception on the year and is averaging over 311 yards per game. Like Haynes King is, or 330 yards per game. He's, he's been a good quarterback where he's at. Yeah. Can Jalen Milrow do that? I don't know. We haven't seen it. Can he do that and then also not throw an interception? We definitely haven't seen that besides MTSU, and this is an MTSU. The thing that scares me the most is, is that Alabama is ranked, they think they're 13th or 12th in the, in the conference. Um, I said this last week in, in penalties. Here, here are the numbers under Tommy Reese, okay? Are you ready for this? Because this is, this is going to be wild for you to hear. Under Tommy Reese, the offense, scoring, this is in the SEC, ninth. Passing, 13th. Total yards, 13th. First downs, 12th. Sacks allowed, 13th. The offensive line has been bad. Ole Miss ranks top four in the SEC in both sacks and tackles for loss. I think that you have to get Jalen Milrow on the first fucking drive involved in the run game and give him some design runs. You have to put them on skates and make them backpedal early. And I am so fucking fired up now that we're talking about it. But that being said, the wrong team is favored. Because Alabama's done nothing to prove why they should be a seven-point favorite over this Ole Miss team going into this game. Ole Miss, 31, Alabama, 23. That You will hear the dynasty is dead after that, if that yeah. happens. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you myself, it already is. <clears throat> All moving right. on. All right, moving on here. Uh, we've got another night game. It is Iowa. We can Iowa. back here, too. <laughs> we've got Iowa and Penn State. Uh, Penn State currently a 14-point favorite, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, 15 now, um, which I don't like as much. Uh, total is 40. Um, this is a CBS game, CBS night game, 7 o'clock. Number Hold 24, on. Iowa, 3-0. At number 7, Penn State, 3-0. Um, Hold on. I know we can do the clips now, but I, I know we don't have this prepared. But can we just play the clip of the Iowa offensive coordinator and what he said to the media? Because if you don't know this, there's a there's a contractual clause in his in his contract that he has to score 25 points per game to keep his job. Did you know that? Yeah, it's Kirk Ferentz's son. Yeah. Yeah. So Billy Madison has to fucking score 25 points per game to keep his job. This is what he said after, after their game on, on Saturday. Right. You ready for this? It's not coming through good. About 41 on Saturday. So maybe it's time to grab a hold of your little step ladders and go ahead and climb out of my ass for a while. Ooh. Maybe it's time you grab onto your step ladders and climb out of my ass for a while. I love that. <laughs> it's like I was like shocked that he said it. That's like something um, that you would say. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd say climb out of my ass. I don't think I ever would have let you in there in the first place. That's neither here nor there. We don't king shame, right, Tyler? Like you always right. say. We don't king shame. That's right. <laughs> so moving on. What are your thoughts on this game? Drew Drew Aller? Is, have we been saying his name wrong all the time? I think Drew Aller. Everyone else has said it the opposite way, besides okay. me and you. <laughs> okay. Um, Penn State. State so. so Penn State's won every game this year by at least 17 points, including last week, 30-13 to 13 against Illinois. Um, 
I, I would say it's a little misleading because they had five turnovers last week, um, yeah. which, I mean, Drew Aller, if that's what we're going to go with, um, they converted those five turnovers into 20 p- points. Outside of that, it was a pretty, it was a turnover-free day for Aller, but he was only completed 16 of 33 passes for 208 yards. Mm-hmm. Iowa's defense is considerably better. What are we doing? I didn't mean to do that. My bad. Uh, the Iowa defense considerably better than than what Penn State has seen. They've played... Um, now, Iowa has played Iowa State, Utah State, and Western Michigan. So I don't yeah. want to act like they've played anyone good, but they've only given up 37 total points this year. True. Um, There's going to be low scoring, and that's reflected in the total. Um, I just expect this game to be close for some reason. I, I just expect Iowa to go in there, play extremely hard defense like they're known to do. I don't expect them to score a ton of points. I also like Penn State's defense. If I was going to pick the game, I'd probably, I don't know, 40 does seem a little low for that Penn State offense as far yeah. as the total point total. I'd probably go over the 40. And as far as a score pick, I'll go 30 to 20 Penn State. I think Iowa will cover, um, but Penn State will win by 10. Was very surprised to see the 14 and a half. And, and really, this has been like a streaky series. Here's something that's going to shock you. How about this? So Iowa's won two in a row. Right, they won in 2021 and in 2020, um, and and kind of destroyed uh, Penn State in 2020. To be honest, before that, Penn State had won six in a row, and before that, this is going to really shock you. Uh, Iowa had won nine the last ten versus Penn State, which is which wow. is kind of crazy to me. Um, the 14 points, though, I was mainly surprised by that because when you look at the series history, the four of the last five games have been decided by one score or less, um, and most of them by by like I'm looking at it right now by five points or less. So I, I think this is in like Iowa is always a place too that I feel like on the road it's gonna be at night, not an easy place to play. Not not an easy place to play. I love Iowa plus 14 and a half. Um the over is like like we're screaming for the over here, right? Like I mean Yeah. I mean I, I would think that I would think that Penn State could put up 30 of that 40 on their own. Now, Iowa's defense is really good, but I really like the running backs at Penn State. Yeah. Alar, Aller, good QB, maybe not great. Um, home game at night. I just think you'll see some juice out of Penn State. Um, I, I, yeah, we're rooting for the over. I mean, yeah. if you find yourself rooting for an under on a total of 40, though I did take the right. under on that, uh, what was that game? I was at Iowa, Iowa State. The the total was like yeah. 35 and it went under. So um six Iowa State seven. is terrible though. Iowa State yeah, lost to Ohio, not Ohio State, but Ohio last week. Yeah, there's a couple of there, like we talk about this, like the the evening out of talent and the parody that's going on in college football. And I don't know if you're gonna bring it all in NIL or transfer portal or what the fuck ever, but there's a couple of programs that are really having a fall from grace. And and like they should be counting their fucking blessings that they're gonna be in a power five program moving forward. Iowa State sucks. Virginia Tech is a five-point underdog against Marshall this weekend. Think about oh, what I lost, just said. They lost to Rutgers by multiple points last week. Who? Virginia Tech. Yeah, Ruck, I told you. I told you. Get off me about that. I told you Rutgers minus seven, and you were like, don't touch that game, dude. You didn't have that that deeper voice. I don't, know yeah, I don't even think we talked about you. I think you talked to somebody else about that. No, I said specifically. I said, I kind of want to take Rutgers here. There's no chance we covered the Rutgers Virginia Tech game on our podcast. You didn't let me cover it, dickhead. All right. So anyway, I like the over here. I like Iowa plus 14 and a half. Between the two, I like I like the over more. 
Penn State, I think, is a really, really good team. And I think people are going to finally get to see more of it. They've been on primetime the last, like, you know, like, they've like, had a couple games that they've, they've been on display here. But I don't think people have really caught on. I think Drew Aller, Al Aller, I think he's going to be really, like, like, I don't think he's going to be in the Heisman race. But at some point, we're going to look up here, and, and, and I don't know how J.J. McCarthy is still on the Heisman list after three interceptions against fucking Bowling Green. But we're going to realize that this might be the best quarterback in the Big Ten this year. And as of right now, I think that's a very, very fair statement. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I like Penn State to win. There you go. This is a weird one. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it. Wait, what did you say for the game score? I, I didn't 30, hear you 30 say. to 20 Penn State. 30 to 20 Penn State. I will take um, 24-17 Penn State. Okay. So we both have Iowa covering. Yeah. Uh, another night game here. This game in the SEC. 7.30 start on ESPNU. Memphis, 3-0 and at Missouri. Also 3-0. and uh, Nice win last week for Missouri. They're a six-point favorite in this game against Memphis. Total 51 and a half. This is, by the way, this is not in Como. This is in St. Louis. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. know that. If you love crime, you will love this game. You're talking about, they should have played this game in Detroit because these two cities are like the Detroit of the South and the Midwest. And that is Memphis and St. Louis. So. I mean, an all-time crime bowl here. All right, so this crime bowl, uh, are we gonna are we gonna ride with Missouri? We don't have to break the game down, but it is a no. Memphis is actually pretty good defensively, and mm-hmm. their quarterback Seth Hennigan is actually a pretty good player. He's been there for three years, so I would hope he's good at this point. Um, this is actually so I actually have a best bet for this game, but it's not for the spread. So, what do you like for the game as far as the score here? So the line was at five, which I hate. I like I like Memphis to cover. I think it's going to be close. I think you're going to see a, a like a Mizzou team that listen. Let's not forget this team really struggled a week ago when they beat um, Kansas State. I'm sorry, when they, when, before they beat Kansas State, they really struggled with MTSU. Right? Um, look at some of their biggest wins they've had under Eli Drinkwitz. Last year, they went on the road and beat a ranked. Uh, a, a South Carolina team that finished ranked. They beat the, kind of the, the breaks off, and they beat them 23 to 10. Come back home, you lose to Kentucky for like the thousandth time, it feels like. Um, anytime it feels like they've had a like a good win, 2021, they they come out and they beat Florida, right? Next week, you get hammered by Arkansas by 17. They have not been able to stack games very well in the Eli Drinkwitz era. Um, I, I, I don't like it. I, I just, I don't like it. So I'm going to say that Memphis wins outright. And I hate to say it, but here's, here's why. Brady Cook has played some of the best quarterback play of any, any QB in the SEC. He's been awesome. Our new – now let's keep in mind here, Tyler, we have a new name for my, my quarterback rankings that came out today. There are unofficial, official quarterback rankings, okay? We don't want to make anyone mad at, at, on the editorial side of, of SDS because I know that's a very serious job to be able to rank the quarterbacks – for a weekly article. So my unofficial official quarterback rankings, Brady Cook, I think was top six this week. Um, he's been really good. He's been really good. Like like QBR, passer rating, however you want to look at it, hasn't turned the ball over this season. Putting up like a, like a decent amount of yardage. I think he threw for 356 last week against K-State. He's injured. And he looked, he looked not great at times in the game a week ago when he had that leg injury. And if they have to go to Sam Horn, they're not going to win this game. I think Memphis wins outright, and I hate to say it, but I got Memphis 
31 to 28. Okay. Um, I'm going to take Missouri to win this game. The streak continues 4 0 for Missouri. Love it. 28 to 24. Okay. So Memphis does end up covering. But this is going to come. We're going to circle back to this game in my best bet. Yeah. I like that. Uh, Utah, or I'm sorry, UCLA at Utah. The, the graphic kind of screwed me up there. I'm going to blame that one on you. Number 22, UCLA, 3-0. At number 11, Utah, 3-0. Yes. The spread currently 4.5, total 51. This game is on Fox at 3.30. Um, only thing I'm looking for in this game is Cam Rising playing. Uh, we've, right. we've known now that Kyle Whittingham isn't exactly the best at sharing his injury report. Mm-mm. See the Rose Bowl last year when he didn't tell anyone in the media that Cam Rising wasn't going to play. And... It just like threw everybody off. Um, if Cam Rising plays, I love Utah in this game. Uh, if he doesn't, I still think Utah will win the game, but it's going to be closer. Um, Utah, 104th in passing success rate. So their QBs that have come in and played for Rising have not been good in the past game. Um, you've got to have him back. Even though UCLA's defense is 122nd in the country in defensive success rate against the pass, mm-hmm. Um if Cam Rising's out, I want I like Dante Moore. Uh, it's tough to win in Utah, so I don't think I could pick, pick UCLA outright. But I think Dante Moore can keep this game close if Rising doesn't play. My pick, I'm going to assume Rising isn't playing yet. He, uh-huh. he did just tear his ACL like at the very end of the game uh, season yeah. last year. Um, so I don't know. I, th- I wouldn't bet this game because I have no idea if Rising's playing. Nobody does. Um, I'm going to assume for the pick that he's not playing. And for that, I will go with Utah to win the game, but UCLA to cover 30 to 28 Utah. 30 to 28 Utah. Yep. It's a bold statement. I love it. Here's why I think this is interesting. Utah is a four point favorite at home. Give you some numbers. We gave you some numbers on this on the, on the Florida game earlier in the year. Now, Utah at home over the last, uh, they have a 25 game Home winning streak. I'm talking about non-COVID years, okay? In non-COVID years, the last three-plus years combined, they have won 20 straight games. 19 of those have been by double digits, okay? 19 have been by double digits. They have been really, really good at home. You saw what they did to Florida at home. Last week, the last home game they played Weber State, whatever. Um, they had the game against Baylor on the road, which we're going to chalk up to being on a power five team on the road. The thing that impressed me most about UCLA so far this year is that not only has Dante Moore been good, but he seems like he's been really, really good at like protecting the football, like more so than a lot of, of first-year quarterbacks have been. He's got seven touchdowns, one interception on the season so far. It's, it's in two-and-a-half starts, right? Like that's, I, that's about as good as you can get. Um, it's also a guy that I kind of assumed the way he's, his recruitment was, that he was a dual-threat guy, but he's not been much of a dual-threat um, threat, I guess you could say, or a running threat so far this season. But seven touchdowns, one interception, I don't care who you're playing as a true freshman in this conference. Like, he's played some of the best quarterback. Again, I'll say it again for this conference. He's played some of the best quarterback play in the Pac-12 this year. And that's really saying something because that has top to bottom easily, easily the the most elite unit in the country, position unit, is is the quarterback in the Pac-12. Anyway, UCLA on the road here against Utah. It makes no sense to pick Utah. I mean, to pick UCLA. It makes no sense to pick UCLA. I just gave you all the numbers. I think that this is a crazy year in general. I don't think that Cam Rising is going to play. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game that you're going to see some struggles early with Dante Moore. 
because of the Utah defense and Kyle Whittingham and all that stuff. And all the things I just told you would tell me to bet on Utah. They're only a four-point favorite. UCLA wins outright. Ooh. I think okay. it's going to be an upset. UCLA wins outright. I have them 23-20. to 20. Awesome. All right, let's stick in the Pac-12. This game, we are dubbing the Pac-2 game. Yeah. Because it's the only two teams that are officially left in the Pac-12. Uh, number 14, Oregon State, 3-0. and At number 21, Washington State, 3-0. and uh, Washington State is a three-point home dog. Total 57. This game's on Fox. A uh, lot of hype around Washington State quarterback Cam Ward last year when he was coming through the portal. I don't know if he necessarily lived up to it last year, but this year he's completing 72% of his passes. He's thrown for 990 yards, nine touchdowns, no picks. Um, Washington State, yeah, Washington State's averaging 48 points per game. Um, they've kind of developed publicly, like their coaches come out and said, we're developing like an us against the world mentality. Yeah. After being left out of the conference realignment talk, they're playing really good football. I think a lot of people were surprised by Washington State this year. On the other side, uh, Oregon State has DJU now. Ui Alongolele uh, at quarterback. He's thrown for 630 yards, six touchdowns, two picks, rushed for another four touchdowns. I really like the running back, Damian Martinez. He has 103 or 351 yards rushing already. Pullman has been a tough place to play for Oregon State. <clears throat> Given the history of this game in Pullman, I do like Washington State to cover. I probably wouldn't bet this game because I do like Oregon State a lot. I like their defense. Yeah. I think this is going to be an awesome game. Yeah. I think Oregon State wins by one point, 31-30. Okay, I, I want to pick Washington State here so bad. Sleepy, sleepy game. It's a 4 o'clock start, but it's like not a lot of people are going to be watching this game because of all the other games that will be going on this Saturday. Um, Pullman, I think they only hold like 33,000 in that stadium in general. Um, not getting enough national love. Cam Ward has been awesome. Has been awesome at quarterback. Here's a stat for you. And this is what I'm going to go with. The most efficient teams per play in college football. This is a stat that goes beyond me that we hear our guy, Josh Hancher, always talk about this with, with, uh, from dog stats, like efficiency, EPA, all these things, EPA, GPA, RTR, LOL, all of those things. The most efficient teams per play in the country. This is going to shock you. Four of the top five. 24-7 Sports put this out the other day. Four of the top five teams are in the Pac-12. And yeah. number five is the Oregon State Beavers. Number seven overall in offensive efficiency. Number 26 overall in defensive efficiency. Number 27 in special teams efficiency for a net efficiency of 90.8. I have no concept of what 90.8 means. But I do know that it's the fifth highest in the total or in, in the country overall. That being said, it's hilarious to me that these two teams are left out on their own for a whole other set of reasons we're not going to get into because of our five-star review from a week ago. I picked Oregon State to win the conference to start the year. I don't know how confident I am in that now because of how good this conference is top to bottom. It is the best conference in college football. But I like DJU and the fact that he's at least been in big games. And I don't, I don't know if I can say the same for Cam Ward. I know that DJU has gone on the road and started against Notre Dame, and he's had some bad moments, but that is one of his best when he went on the road in 2020 and beat a ranked Notre Dame team that made the college football playoff. I think that Oregon State has found themselves a leader at quarterback, and I think that they are a very, really well-coached team with Jonathan Smith as the, as the head coach. Oregon State continues the undefeated season. 
as of right now. I've got them winning this game, excuse me, uh, 35 to 30. It's going to be a good game. Yeah. Uh, let's go stick in the night slate, 7.30 p.m. on NBC. We've Ooh. got number six, Ohio State, at number nine, Notre Dame. Both teams undefeated. Currently, the spread is Notre Dame, a three-point home dog, total 55 and a half. I'll let you start. I'm so fired up for this, man. Like this has a, this has a chance to be like it should be a good day no matter what. And I'm saying that from a fan perspective because we got good football. I mean, fucking good football on start to finish. If you don't already have it, they're not a sponsor, but shout out to YouTube TV where you can watch multiple games at once up to four at a time. Go out and get that cuz it's a ton of fun. If you if you're like me and, and are an idiot and only have one TV set up right now, uh, it's this is going to be one of those Saturdays, and if even if Bama loses, there should be some really fun games, even afterwards. And I can't wait for that. This is one of them. Oh yeah, this is a yeah. it's an all time historic program matchup right here. Yeah, this is like a uniform game, a helmet game, two blue bloods facing off in a home and home the way that should be in college football. I can't wait. Now, going into this game, there's a two things that I think I, I'm I'm most intrigued to see. Notre Dame last year versus ranked teams put up 30 points per game against ranked teams. Ohio State, it's lots of made of that defense, right? Um, and, and bringing over the guy from Oklahoma State a couple like two years ago or last year, um, and them not being as dominant as you would have thought. You've seen, and I've mentioned on the podcast a whole bunch. You have anytime you look at like NFL draft, like mock drafts going into next season, it's not only littered with Ohio State players, but a lot of defensive players. They've got dudes everywhere, right? It, will that translate? We'll see. I think they have they struggled against Indiana to start the year. In the first game of the year, with a new quarterback, a lot of new things in place, they struggled and people, for whatever reason, kind of wrote them off, which is dumb as shit to do. Ryan Day's already come out and said, basically, in so many words, they guarantee a victory and they're going to win this football game. I think if you're Notre Dame, you have a lot of confidence because of the run game especially. You might have the best back in the, in, in the entire country. Averaging over eight yards per carry, Kyle McCord leads the the Big Ten in in uh, QBR at over eighty seven point two. Ohio State's games versus ranked opponents last season had a combined average score of sixty four point three total points in the game. I think it's going to be more high scoring than people think. I think it's definitely more high scoring than the game last year. I want to pick Notre Dame. I really do, but I just think that no, I think that Notre Dame in big moments has done nothing ever to make me feel like they should consistently win these type of games. And Ohio State has a lot of unproven guys, but I tell you what, Ohio State is very dangerous, and the, and that's why they were my pick before the season to, to win the national championship. And that's they are very dangerous because they've got dudes everywhere, like I just said, and they have a chip on their shoulder. You think that a quarterback's not going to play well with Ryan Day calling the plays? I mean, look, when we counted Ohio State the most over the past couple seasons, they always seem to rise to the occasion and, and do something that, like, we should have already known was going to happen. You look at last season. They get, they get trounced by Michigan. They come right back out, and they take Georgia for the full 60 minutes in an absolute dogfight. I think Ohio State wins. I think they cover the three. I think this is a very, very good game. I think they pull away late. I got Ohio State 
you've got me fired up to pick Ohio State, but I'm going to go with my gut here. Ooh. I think it's a little different program with Sam Hartman at the helm. This is going to be Sam Hartman's 50th career start. You've got a lot of experience at Signal Caller. It's a home game. By the way, Notre Dame. So Hartman, 13 touchdowns, no interceptions to start the year. They're rolling. They've opened the season with four straight 40-point games for the first time since 1900. They put up 40 points per game in 1900? Yeah, against Goshen, Inglewood. Church were they playing? Which were high schools. uh, A South Howard Park club team and the University of Cincinnati. Is that real? Yeah, that's real. I like how you sprinkle in and the University of Cincinnati. So uh, they've never scored 40-plus in each of their first five games. I like Hartman, the Hartman versus McCord angle. I think Hartman's got the experience. This is a night home game for Notre Dame. I think they're they're wanting to change the narrative that they can't win big games like this. I got Notre Dame 28-27. I love it. This is, this is going to be an awesome game. Hey, let me ask you a question. I saw this floating around on Twitter before we get into the big one, and I know you're chomping on the bits to do it, and we'll close it out here in a second. Does Notre Dame have to win this game if they want to get in the playoff? Because I, I saw that floating around Twitter, and the the my initial like knee jerk reaction was, yeah, they do, they do have to win this game to get into the playoff. But really, there's still a lot of meat left on the bone for them on on this schedule. I think they still have Clemson, right? And they also have, I know they have USC at home. Like there's mm-hmm. still some some time for them, but I don't think it's a must win in week four or week five for them. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I keep in mind they also play at Duke, which normally you'd laugh at that, but. Duke is ranked number 18. They handled Clemson. Um, and that that's a night game on the road next week. Yeah. So if you can, if you lose this game, but then you run the table, I think that given the, all the, everything that's going on in college football right now with all the crazy results, I think they could still get in. Hot take. I can't wait for them to lose this game. And at least one person on social media or a message board make the case that they were overlooking them to get ready for Duke since that's a conference game. (laughs) Let's get into the final game we're going to preview. I'm going to start, and I'm going to be short-winded for once in my fucking life so we can get into what you think is going to happen in this game. Clemson and Florida State. Now, uh, 12 o'clock on Saturday. What's the line? Plus, Clemson's currently plus two at home. All right. I want you to stew and get fired up because this is – this is the first time since 2016 that Clemson is a home underdog uh, in Death Valley. I'm assuming if it's 2016, that had to be the Louisville game with Lamar Jackson. I was there for that game. game. It was incredible, an incredible atmosphere. I kind of feel like they did a little bit of a disservice. And I think both fan bases would probably agree with this, that they had this game at noon instead of the night game, because I yeah. think there's a lot of good memories for Florida State going up there at night uh, with an elite, elite team you got a top five Florida State team, I believe, going into this game for the first time since 2013. That was a 51-14 to beatdown with Jameis Winston and company in Death Valley. Clemson has been really, really good. They have one loss in, I think, like their last, like, what, 20, 30-plus games at home. Um, and, and that was last year by one point to South Carolina. Florida State has all the momentum in the world. This is, like, a really fun matchup for a lot of reasons. It's not just on the field what we're going to see. But because of the fact that, like, Florida State and Clemson, there's not two programs and two coaches that are doing things more differently 
than these two teams and these two programs. Talking about the transfer portal and the way that both teams are attacking that, all of the above. I saw Clemson struggle against Duke. Duke's a better team than we give him credit for. I heard what Dabo said about how we could go in and we can do if we if we play the same type of game. I think we what was this quote like? We're, we won't lose another game all season, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Here's, Here's the bottom line. This is the first time in, in probably a decade that Florida State is going to go into Death Valley, and one, they're going to have more dudes. They're going to have better skill position players. They're going to have better quarterback play. They might have a better defense. But they are going to – all the important matchups of this game, Florida State not only has the advantage in, they're also not fucking scared. They opened up this season and absolutely trounced. I mean, just skull-dragged an SEC powerhouse in LSU – I'll say by 28, even though I know the final score is 21, it's a garbage time touchdown. Florida State is not scared of anyone. And I know what happened last week in, in Boston, uh, in, in Chestnut Hill, when they were playing BC and they had a two-point win. Part of me, and mostly all of me, thinks that that was probably because they were looking forward to this game. And Florida State is one of the top three teams, if not the number one team in the country, by resume and by talent and everything they have done on the field this season. And I think this entire thing with Dabo – I think it might be a little bit overblown how bad the program might be, but I do know one thing that when they take the field on Saturday, they are not the best team that's going to be on that field. And the best team on that field is going to be in garnet and gold. And Florida state's going to go in there and prove a point. And I think they win. I think Florida state wins this game. I think it's close early. I think they have the horses, especially at receiver and especially the skill positions that is going to be way too much to handle for, for, for Clemson. I think they pulled away big, in the second half. And I've got Florida State 34 to 20. Oh, man. I hope you're right. Um, so my my look on this game, uh, FSU looked awful last week. Uh, it was a classic look-ahead spot. You've got the red bandana game that BC always gets up for and plays well. They were also up 31 to 10 in that game, and they completely yeah. took their foot off the gas. It has now been confirmed, I mentioned on the pod and the recap pod, that multiple players had the flu. So I think that also had to do with them wearing down towards the end of the game as well. Um, The most frustrating aspect of that game was the explosive plays allowed on defense on third and long. I'm hoping they get that fixed this week. Uh, But Clemson doesn't have an explosive offense thus far this year. Um, Klubnik is a bit careless with the ball. The receivers currently have a 10% drop rate, which is not great. Um, They still have an elite front seven. Uh, Florida State's O-line is much improved, but they still haven't been able to get a strong run game going. And I think it's because they haven't run Jordan Travis a ton. Yeah, And I think they've been waiting for this game. Like the LSU game, he ran a bit. That game, you could have lost and still had all of your goals on the table. Yeah, This game is meant to prove a point that Florida State is back in the ACC hunt. And yeah. I think Clemson is going to take advantage of Florida State's defensive weakness, which is that linebacker and safety. That does worry me. BC took advantage of it in a big way. Clemson's going to see that on tape. I assume they take advantage of it. But Clemson has been awful at finishing drives. We saw it in the Duke game. They they moved down the field just fine, but then when they got in the red zone, everything collapsed. Yeah. Florida State's actually been okay. It's been it's been the the, the opposite on defense almost for for Florida State. They've they've kind of let people go down the field, but then they've you saw in the LSU game, they had, you know, uh, fourth down stands in the red zone twice, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis got injured last week with his shoulder. That worries me in terms of running him. But I think 
Norvell's been good in big games, calling offenses. And yeah. I think they're going to, I expect Florida State to utilize Jordan Travis's legs as a weapon here to get that run game going. I agree with you. The receivers are going to have a big game. I like Florida State to win the game. I like them to cover. It's going to be closer than yours, 31 to 27. Mm-hmm. But I like Florida State to come away with this, be 4 0, and have all of their goals in front of them as far as making the college football playoff. Let me say one more thing about that, too, to, to Florida State, to like the point you're making about Florida State. And here's, here's another reason why I love the fact that I think Florida State wins this game. When you have your chance to put your foot on someone's throat and end their season this early, especially with this rivalry, you fucking do it. And I yeah. think that Florida State is going to come out there and do that because they have the – this is like if, if it was 3-0 and there is almost more of like a little bit of a like, well, you know, if, if either, either way, if we win or lose, there's probably going to be a match. There's going to be a rematch, right? You got mm-hmm. a chance to end it now, end it right now, and go ahead and take advantage of that and then, and then not coast the rest of the year, but put them out early. Yeah, that this would be Clemson's second ACC loss, and it's going to be tough to recover from that as far as making the championship yeah. game. Because remember, maybe it's a little easier now because remember, it's it's not – there's no uh, divisions anymore. It's just the yeah. best you can think. But having two ACC losses in September is not great for Clemson. Yeah, um, I'm a little worried about about Florida State putting... I, I, I don't know. I think they'll be fine in a big game. This is different than BC. Um, they, I know that Florida State's kind of beat has been a little worried about you know their mentality after that game, but mm-hmm. I'm not concerned about it. I think Florida State goes up and wins. And the best part of this is even if they lose, their goals still aren't off the table. They could if right. if, they'll, if they run the table and and win the ACC championship game, they'll still be right in the mix. So yeah, I don't think there's a ton of pressure. Um, but got got to go win it, go win this game. All right, that's the end of the show. As always, we really appreciate you all listening to the show. It would really help us and the growth of the show if you would rate us five stars on Apple and Spotify. Leave a review. We'll read the best ones on air. Um. We got some great news from the suits at uh, our company that told us that you guys, the loyal listeners, listen to 85% of every podcast episode, which... That's insane. We saw the numbers for... Yeah, we saw the numbers for um, just podcasts in general, and the average is below 60%, I think, for people who listen through... 60% the average podcast, and for sports podcasts in season, it's well below that because of the fact that people want to listen to their teams... And they click through and the listen through rate being at 85% is like, I'm like blown away. Like like for the first time, maybe ever I'm like speechless. Basically they told us you guys just aren't listening to this part, which is like the conclusion of the show. (laughs) You you might not even be hearing this, but yeah, we really appreciate it. It shows that you guys really care about the podcast. And if you really care about it and you want to see us grow, tell your friends about us. Um, Mm -hmm. we, We want to take this thing to the moon. So don't forget this weekend, leave a message for our game day hotline. 770-674-8233. 770-674-8233. Also, don't forget to check out the SDS podcast weekly with Connor O'Gara and check out all of our yeah. videos and clips online. You can find the clips from the show at Sat Down South on Twitter, at Saturday Down South on Instagram and TikTok, Saturday Down South on YouTube. For Chris, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. Good luck to your teams this weekend. We'll talk to you guys on Sunday night for our live show on YouTube. Yeah.